Saturday, December 12th, Sports Possessions at the Liberty Center in Westchester, Ohio, brings to you former WWE superstar Kevin Thorne, also known as Mordecai, come meet the Pale Rider and become a member of the Bike Club just in time for the holidays. That's Saturday, December 12th from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, comes to Sports Possessions at the brand new Liberty Center in Westchester, Ohio. Visit sportspossessions.com for more information or call 513-759-2600. Kevin Thorne is back, and it's time for you to join the Bike Club. Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, John. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling, brought to you today and powered by our good friends at Meowbox. And of course, you know by now that Meowbox is a monthly cat subscription box service full of surprises and delivered to your door every single month. And please be sure to stay tuned a little bit later on in the show for a special promotion just for the listeners of the Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling, courtesy of Meowbox and courtesy of Meowbox.com. And with that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Mr. Primetime, Jonathan Paz. And Mr. Jonathan, today on the show, we are joined by somebody who's from the mean streets. That's right, the mean streets of good old Greenwich, Connecticut, and it's one of Shane O'Mac's boys, and that is Pete Gass of the Mean Street Posse. He's joined us for what we like to classify as an epic episode, and not epic because it's an epic, but it's an epic, and that is because the length is something to be marveled at. It's an absolute gem that you can sit down and listen to peak ass really just give us all the details about the Mean Street Posse, his relationship with the McMahons, his friendship with Shane. It's an absolute, ridiculously amazing look into the life of peak ass into the background of the Mean Street Posse, how it all came about. And when you look back on 
the Mean Street Posse and the Attitude Era, and it's hard to believe it's so long ago, and I mentioned that to Pete. But, you know, what's something, John, that you learned about Pete Gasparino during this interview and something that really, you know, sticks with you and uh, really helped make this episode such an epic? Yes, that's right. Chatty Boy back again here with the two-man power trip of wrestling. And we had another epic on our hands, like you said. An absolute pleasure. What an honor it was to get Pete Gas on for an interview. And it was quite a long one, which is why we call it an epic. And it was quite fantastic. I mean, he just goes along in the uh, the series there, along with uh, Scotty Riggs and Matt Morgan and Jerry Lynn and Al Snow, as far as just these long, fantastic interviews that we've been able to get. And, you know, the one thing about Pete Gas that is just, so memorable you know obviously right off the bat is of course the mean street posse and we go into great great detail about his relationship with Shane mcmahon which has been you know a lifelong friendship obviously rodney joey apps and then of course we talk about some of the guys that maybe were forgotten that were actually in the mean street posse you know willie green billy p so i mean very interesting stuff a lot of cool stuff and i just love the mean street posse when you think back i mean yeah you know you could say they got beat up all the time, whatever. But, I mean, that, that was their role. They played it so well, and they did such a good job with it. They were definite heat magnets, and uh, there's no doubt about it. The fans love to hate those guys. So it was just just a you know, perfect storm, especially for the Attitude Era, to have a team like the Mean Street Posse. And, you know, we talk about it in the interview. Not only was it great for the Attitude Era, but it was great for the WWE ratings because, you know, the, the Mean Street Posse was pulling in great ratings for them. And, and obviously, you know, they had some great great memorable feuds and some great memorable storylines but i'll always remember before they debuted those vignettes they were so funny and they were so cool and uh you know uh, definitely innovative uh, at that point and the unique thing about the mean tree posse was you know you didn't have to take them so seriously i mean there was definitely a comedic value to them but there's no doubt about it they were perfect in their roles and you know they i mean we talked about a lot in the interview and obviously they they got beat up a lot but you know that that was just them playing their roles perfectly and you you know you couldn't ask for a better group of guys and you couldn't ask for a better interview than pete gas that's right and if your friends don't have your back and watch it like Shane did for Pete Gass. And really, what good are they? Are they really considered friends at that point? But I can say that just by getting a glimpse of what Pete Gass had to say about his relationship with Shane McMahon, you could see that that's a bond that's never going to be broken. Those guys will be friends for life. And when you have a friend like Shane McMahon who really does watch your back, I mean, that's really all you can ask for, I guess, uh, you know, when you get that uh unspoken you know contract of friendship the two of you are now going to be rolling running buddies you're going to be rolling tight but talk about that friendship with the mcmahons and shane specifically and how great it is that even today these two guys are still in contact and they're still uh making each other laugh you know bsing about the same old stories and uh still having a great time yeah, one of the, you know, great things that, that came out of this, obviously, you know, we talked about it a little bit, was that the lifelong friendship and relationship with Shane McMahon. So, I mean, you get a lot of great stories of not only, you know, them as kids with, with uh, you know, hanging out with Shane McMahon and, and pulling pranks and breaking mailboxes and so forth and so on, but we also get a great story from uh, Pete about his relationship with stephanie mcmahon as well he's you know as he said she was quote unquote one of the guys and which was really cool part of it was the story that he told about a a nickname that she gave to him so i would definitely 
uh, you know, listen out for that story because that, that was one of the funniest parts to me because uh, the nickname she gave him does not fit, you know, the uh, the man that PCAS is. I just thought it was so funny and it, the way he tells the story is great. He is just a great storyteller and, you know, we, we just sat back and really enjoyed this one and as uh, Chad said, you know, definitely one of our favorites for sure and I was so cool uh some of the stories you know you peel back the curtain of the mcmahons and you get to kind of you know learn more about him obviously shane being his boy but stephanie there was that one great story about his nickname but there's some other great stephanie stories in there then of course we had to ask about the big man himself vince mcmahon he gives some great insight and some great stories about vince and uh we do get into great detail about you know some behind the scenes stuff and behind uh behind closed doors as far as the McMahon family is concerned and of course we do get into the whole um, behind the scenes thing of how the Mean Street Posse got started with Shane and uh, you know their relationship was it affected at all you know when they got released so just really really cool stuff and I love that you know we were able to get behind the curtains of the McMahons which is you know not a uh, common thing to have you know, to be able to do with certain guys, but obviously BKS has known them, you know, his whole life. So it's just unbelievable. And that is great. And just another thing I just want to throw out there was BKS. He's got a book coming out pretty soon and, you know, they're, they're looking uh, to get that thing published, but it just, the stories about the book were just fantastic that, that, you know, he, he gives us a little tease, a little tidbit of what's going to be in the book. So, I mean, that was really, really cool. And uh, I really, really enjoyed that. And then also another thing that I, you know really really liked it and it was really interesting and obviously uh you know it's in it's on the youtube clip but that's uh, about his relationship with uh jbl who will be writing the forward for that book and obviously you know he has some history with jbl when he was in the apa the acolytes with ron simmons and uh, obviously uh jbl was a little stiff with him like he was with a lot of the other guys but the great great story about that and the respect that was earned there and you know obviously now with jbl writing the forward to the book so it's really really cool and uh you know just have to say it again just another one of our epic interviews and pcas was just unbelievably awesome and like uh, you know we said before and like chad i know you mentioned uh, one of our favorites for sure yeah, I couldn't hold it in at the end. I had to just give Pete my honest opinion, and that was it really was one of my favorite interviews that I think we've ever conducted, you know, especially over the phone. I mean, the live interviews are unique in their own way, but this was just so great to uh, really just get PCAST, you know, and just be the three of us and chit-chatting and really feeling like we were part of the posse at one point. And uh, I really think that that book is going to do very well. And, of course, it's going to be written by a former guest of ours, John Robinson, who you can go back and listen to him talk about the Attitude Era book, uh, which is great in its own because he is a fantastic writer and he's got fantastic, fantastic ties to the wrestling business. And please go back and listen to the John Robinson episode because he's got quite a story to tell. And we're big fans of John Rob on the two-man power trip of wrestling and john before we get it over to peak gas and before we hit him with a little two-man power trip of wrestling business and even before we tell him about meow box i just want to say we have joined on with topropepress.com and we've joined on to be a part of the top rope press radio network and in addition to what john's going to tell you about us on i-95 and their sports network we're going to be providing best of episodes as well on topropepress.com as a part of the top Row press radio network 
And we thank Ryan and the guys over there for uh, wanting to get on board with the two-man power trip of wrestling. And speaking of somebody who's on board with the two-man power trip of wrestling, let's talk about Meowbox. And when you head on over to Meowbox.com and you throw the promo code POWERTRIP10 into the checkout box, you're going to get 10% off your monthly box subscription. Excuse me, your first monthly box subscription. you got to emphasize the first. But that's only if you use the code POWERTRIP10 in the checkout box over on Meowbox.com. And we want to thank our fine feline friends over at Meowbox for coming on board and being a part of the two-man power trip of wrestling family. So that's always a great thank you. But, John, tell them a little bit more about Meowbox and hit them with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business. Yes, Meowbox, baby. They are the best. They have a little service called One Box Can, where every Meow Box purchase will get you a can of food donated to a shelter cat on your behalf. So that is excellent. Also remember, all edible items are made in the USA or Canada, so you know where your edible items are coming from. Now, if you have a picky cat like mine, Lucy, who uh, has a bit of a special diet, you can replace your edible items with toys and surprises, which little Lucy absolutely loves, and that is great of Meowbox. So just remember, folks, that is Meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off your first subscription. Again, Meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off your first subscription. Now, for some TMPT business, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Rasslin' Palin, at Two Man Power Trip. Subscribe to us on YouTube. We are always putting up the latest and greatest excellent and amazing clips from us. So check us out there. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Also, check out the website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. And also, don't forget to type it into the old Google machine there, the I-95 Sports Network. You can check us out there. Again, that is the I-95 Sports Network. Now, for those interested in booking Kevin Furtick, a.k.a. Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, Please email bookings at tmptofwrestling.com for further details on that. And now settle in, strap in, and get ready, because here comes a member of the Mean Street Posse, a two-time WWF Hardcore Champion. He is Pete Gass. Superstar and a very productive member of the now famed Attitude Era. And of course, he's a two time WWF hardcore champion and a member of one of the baddest groups you'll ever find, and that is the Mean Street Posse. Pete Gass, thank you so much for joining the two man power trip of wrestling. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. I got to say, that was probably one of the best introductions I've ever had in any interview I've ever done. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. And when I mean bad, I don't mean bad, I mean bad, as in the mean streets. The mean streets of Greenwich, and I'll tell you something, in preparing for the interview, I always love to do this, you get to go back, you get to watch old clips, you get to relive some of the great memories of the, the Attitude Era, which I can't even still believe we're saying memories, because it's so fresh, you know, in my mind, but watching those mean street posse vignettes, and the music, and the stories, and then just kind of going and doing your research, and finding out things. The first question is, and it's got to be the easiest, 
The Mean Street Posse started back, I guess, in your school days when you met a perhaps uh, young Shane McMahon. I was going to say he's young because you guys are probably young when you met. But uh, talk about how meeting Shane McMahon, um, what was that like? Because was it known that he was the son of the wrestling god known as Vince McMahon? <laughs> yes, that is true. Uh Truthfully, uh, there's three junior high schools in, in Greenwich, public junior high schools in Greenwich, and I was at Eastern Junior High at the time, and Rodney and Shane were best friends at uh, Central Central Middle School. Um, so when the two, when we played them in football, you know, we all knew, we all knew who Rodney was, because Rodney was a great, you know, running back and linebacker, all that, but we also knew who Shane was, you know, Shane... Shane was that guy, you know, the guy that always had that, you know, motor that wouldn't, you know, wouldn't stop, and and we just didn't, we didn't like either one of them. And of course, the reputation of Shane, you know, everyone knew, oh, that was Vince McMahon's son, and you know, that was during the uh, the early '80s. It was still coming up. So Vince, <clears throat> you know, obviously Vince had a mark in Greenwich and around the world. So uh, as far as that goes, yeah, we knew who he was and didn't like him. And eventually what happened was we ended up getting, the, when we got to high school, we all played sophomore football with each other, and together rather. And uh, when that all, that's when our, our friendship, you know, we all came together as one and it, it was nonstop to this day. Now that's awesome. I and mean, it's so cool just to know how it all started and how it came together but it's funny, you know, now John and I are Northeastern guys. We're both Jersey guys. So you get the perception of Greenwich, Connecticut. You think about, you know, the way that WWE has built up what Greenwich is uh, and looking at it from a national landscape, you know, people think that with Greenwich you get some stuck-up kids. You know, you might get the kid in the Corvette. You know, you might get the hot rodden, you know, uh, badass. But when you put together the stories that were in those vignettes, and you put together the stories as the Mean Street Posse evolved. How much of that was actually more of a work than true? Because some of those stories, I mean, they're hilarious when you look back uh, on them. But living them, uh, are they true to uh, to life? Well, the truth is, I mean, Greenwich is exactly what you said. You know, there's the kids with the, the Corvettes. There's the, you know, driving daddy's Range Rovers nowadays and, and all that stuff. That is true. Um you know, there's definitely an upper class that goes, you know, the, where these parents have more money than I'll ever see. Um, but as far as like, you know, the stories and the, and you know, like Rodney and I came from very middle class homes. My father was a plumber. His dad, to this day, uh, owns an upholstery shop. Um, and so, which shows that you know, Shane wasn't. Uh, Shane never has been, nor any of the McMahons ever been any type of, you know. They've never felt that they were better than anyone. In fact, the most common uh, compliment that I give about the McMahons is with all the money that they have, you'd never know it. They're such down-to-earth great people, and that goes for every member of the family. You know, uh, they always helped, they always treated us with respect and, you know, they, you know disciplined us when we had to, the whole thing. But uh, so re- with regards to the, the stories, if they're true – uh for the most part they are to be honest with you i mean there was there were times where you know we went out and caused a lot of ruckus you know a lot, a lot of chaos and uh got in fights with uh other people and you know did property damage to things and smashed mailboxes and 
did all sorts of, you know, stupid things that kids do when they're teenagers. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, those those stories were true, definitely. In fact, I'll even give you a, an example of why they're true, because uh, Shane, Rodney and I used to work out at, at the WWE well, before we started wrestling, and uh, we used to work out at the gym, and Shane came down to the gym. He had a meeting, and he said, hey, can I, can I talk to you guys? Uh, can you swing by my office tomorrow afternoon? Which which was a Friday afternoon. So after we worked out, we went over to the office. We were sitting down in his office with him and, you know, doing the usual busting balls thing. And he said, hey, he goes, I wonder if you guys would do us a favor. If you, I wonder if you guys would do me a favor. He said, uh, I'm promoting this match with Xbox, and uh, I'm talking about how, you know, we're trying to get real heat on the match with me, and I want to promote how, you know, I, we grew up in the mean streets of Greenwich. Would you, Sunday morning, around 10 o'clock, go down to the studio, uh, Chris Chambers, who still works for the company, and actually helped create the Mean Street Posse characters, um, He, uh, you're going to go meet with him, and you, he's going to ask you a bunch of questions. He says, now, here's the script. And he had a script in his hand that they had written, the, the writers had written. He tore it up. And he basically said, the hell with that. I want you to go in front of that camera and tell stories about how we, you know, we ran, we ran from the cops, we got in trouble, we got in fights, and they're going to splice it up, and you're going to be on Monday Night Raw the following night. So now, we went home, you know, we we went to the weekend. Rodney came over to my house in about eight o'clock that morning. Uh, we both drank at least a twelve pack of beer, and you know, because we were nervous as hell, we'd never done this stuff before. And then we, you know, we went over to the studio and we uh, we shot this thing, and that's it. Then you saw it, the, you know, you saw it over the next couple weeks, three about three or four weeks leading up to the week before WrestleMania, and then that week they brought us to Albany, New York, and Shane challenged X Pac to a street fight, and we pulled up in Corvette convertibles, a bunch of us jumped out, we jumped on them, and then took off, and that's how it just started to steamroll from there. Yeah, it was such a great, good, such a great package. The way they put it together, spliced it with you know the B-roll of Greenwich and you know the cars and the jewelry stores and downtown. It's just it's such a great way it was put together. But you know, if I could just dial it back one second, we're definitely going to get into all of that. Now, you know, you if you look at it as a fan's perspective, you see that Shane started to kind of pop up on TV in the early 90s, and you said you guys met towards the late 80s. Now, were you always a wrestling fan? Oh, early was 80s. Something that early, okay. Now, yeah. were you a wrestling fan, or was it something you gravitated more towards because, uh, you know, you knew Shane, and obviously you got to know the family business as you became better friends? No, I was a wrestling fan. I was a wrestling fan back in, actually, the 70s, uh, late 70s. I um, would force myself to stay awake uh, back I don't know if you guys. Oh, well, it's the Caucus uh, Channel Nine. Um, oh yeah, yep. Used to used to have wrestling on at eleven o'clock at night, or eleven or twelve o'clock at night on Channel Nine, <clears throat> and it was you know the WWWF at the time, and I w- I always tried to stay up to see all these you know characters, but my one favorite character was this big blonde-haired guy, Hulk, which was Hulk Hogan, and uh, I used to try to force myself to stay awake and. And I loved it. I always loved it. And then, you know, as time goes on, you know, like all of a sudden now it becomes a reality and you're friends with Shane and, 
you know, you're going with Shane and you're going backstage and, um, you know, I can remember being at the garden and I remember saying that, you know, the, just being in awe because we're backstage with these guys and it's like, wow, you know, this is, this is unbelievable, you know, cause they're, they're, you know, wrestlers are larger than life. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing. And the, the, the shows that, that we've always put on and the, what they do now is amazing. And, I, you know, it's it was just it, it blew us away when we were kids. Oh yeah, and that Channel Nine, you know, was synonymous for uh, two things, and that's uh, late night wrestling and Mets baseball, and that's about it because it was a uh, a strange collection of programming on Channel Nine before it really uh, took off. But that's a little bit that's a little too local, I think, for the audience. But okay. so you know, you're a wrestling fan. Shane's obviously you know the the heir to the wrestling empire at that point. But he starts to become a referee, and you're seeing him at ringside, and there's uh, one of the Royal Rumbles. He's very prominent. When he first started to kind of go all in, I know they've always said he started at the bottom and worked his way to the top. But as he moved up that chain, you know, how was his demeanor? Did he, like, was he all about wanting to be the future head of the company, or was this something that he just saw, obviously, which he's doing, you know, amazing things now. Did he see it as a stepping stone to get to something else in his career, you know, I mean, I guess when you, because of our friendship, I mean, we never really. It's not like we sat around at a bar on Greenwich Avenue and so he said, "Hey, you know, I'm going to run this place." You know, it was never, it was never that type of conversation. You know, Shane, like you said, Shane started from the bottom up. His father was, his. We all know his father's a genius, and and in this circumstance, it was also the same. He. um Shane started doing summer jobs and working for the company. You know, he would work in the warehouse one summer. Uh, during a break, he would work somewhere else. You know, he'd work in different departments. Eventually, he started, as he got older, he started going on the road during summer break. And he would set up the ring. He would, you know, he would get involved, do some refereeing, do all, you know. And Shane was being groomed to learn every facet of the business. And uh, this way, you know, the more you know, the better you are, and, uh, and that was the way it is. And you know, I believe Stephanie was too. Stephanie had, uh, if I remember correctly, she was working in the in, in the office, uh, in the in the main building in Titan Tower, doing different working in different departments there, departments there as well. But uh, because the family's so close, I feel that. Well, I don't feel I know that. It's just. The bond that they all have, just it, it, there's just such a close family that you know they just they always wanted to be, be together anyway, and and this this business is it's you know it's the air they breathe you know it's every it's everything to them. So when Shane did that, you know Shane, we would see Shane from time to time. He was also away sometimes during during breaks, but you know to him he was learning the business and. It, that's all it was. It was. It was never like one day I'm going to run this thing. At least if he if he was saying it or if he was being told it, it was never, never even talked about because we were always, you know, you're you're buddies. You know, you're talking about other things. You're talking about the game on television or who you're dating or whatever the case is. You're not talking about you know, your future plans 15, 20 years from you know from then. Now, obviously, you know, you guys have been friends for a long time, but you ever, you know, and you said you were a big wrestling fan, did you yeah. ever sit there while you're at MSG and think, like, wow, you know, one day I'm going to be wrestling out there? Did that ever cross your mind? No, the only time, 
<clears throat> I always wanted to be a wrestler. I always wanted, you know, there was always, I always want, first, first and foremost, I wanted to play in the NFL. That was my, my first passion. I was a football player growing up. Um, I, I, I played, in my opinion, pretty well. And, uh, you know, I earned a full scholarship to play at the University of Connecticut. And I, I enjoyed that. And then, but wrestling was always a dream of mine as well. You know, to be able to do that, um, and at one point in my early 20s, you know, I was at, at that point where a lot of kids in their early 20s right now probably are. They don't know where they're going to go with life. And But I really, I always wanted to learn it. Like, I used to watch wrestling matches, and I used to watch how they, you know, took a bump. I used to watch how they threw a punch. I used to, you know, I used to really technically watch the stuff. And I told Shane that. <clears throat> and one day, I separately went in and spoke with Shane during the day. And I said, uh, I said, hey, I said, what do I need to do to get into the business? And he said, uh, he goes, oh, you don't want, you don't want to do this. I said, yeah, I do. And he said, no, no, no. He goes, they send you to Memphis, Tennessee. He says, you, you, you drive. He goes, you, you can't, you have no money. They'll pay you maybe forty bucks a night. He said, you'll tap out of your 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 bank account. Will get tapped out. He said, you'll end up having to set up the ring. You'll be doing jobs. He says, they treat you like shit. And he basically, he, he wouldn't let me do it, and he basically said no to me the whole time. And then it turns out, we end up, when, when he asked us to do this, we end up getting sent to Memphis anyway, but it was a whole different circumstance at that time. Not only because of our contracts, but the business itself, the, you know, it was a um, developmental program for WWE, so it was a totally different thing other than, you know, just doing wrestling, wrestling indies. So... Now you mentioned uh, Memphis, Tennessee, and obviously, um, you know, it was kind of a developmental territory. Yeah. But, you know, you did time down there in Memphis. You know, what was your experience like down there in Memphis? You said, obviously, it was a little bit different than you kind of thought it was going to be. I loved it. I loved I, – I honestly could say I loved Memphis, Tennessee. Um, the people were great to us. In fact, uh, people down in Tennessee – and just to the South in general are so friendly, you know, and, and you know, guys, we're new, we're from the Northeast. You know, anyone tries to be really nice to you, you're, you're, you're trying to figure out what the scam is. You're trying to figure <laughs> out, you know, like, you know, you know I, like I would have people invite me over their house for barbecues. I had just met them five minutes ago. And, uh, you know, I was always trying to figure out, you know, what's, you know, what's going to happen is, you know, someone going to come out with overalls and a shotgun and make me, you know, you know, God knows do what, you know, you, you never knew what was going to happen. Um, but everyone is just truly friendly and great, and there's great wrestling fans in that area, and we had a blast, and we, I, I loved that place, I really did, and uh, I would definitely, I could live there permanently. <clears throat> and when you were training down there and stuff, who was like the main trainer down there? Was it Dr. Tom at that point? No, Dr. Tom was our trainer. Dr. Tom was our, at the time, Dr. Tom was doing. Um, he was like scouting talent, and, and basically he was living in Stanford, and he was giving out um, like for tryouts and stuff like that. And he would have, so he would have, you know, like I don't know if you ever have you watched, uh, have you seen this new show Breaking Ground with WWE yet? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Great show, by the way. But yep. you, you see how they they bring out bring people in for tryouts and stuff. It was like a a toned down version of that back then. It wasn't as intense. It was more about just the wrestling aspect, and it was bringing indie guys in and 
Rodney and I, because we were learning, we were training with those guys. So when he he didn't have when he he didn't have anyone to train, I mean to to try out, he was just working just with us. And God bless him because we gave him a few potatoes. Uh, and I, I know that you know I know we heard him a couple times, but he was he was great to us. Um, but he so we learned from him in the in the at the uh, studio. We were training every day after work, and then. As time went on, you know, the the office said, you know, listen, you guys, we need to get you more matches. So we're going to send you to Memphis, and you're going to do TVs, and then you're going to fly back to Memphis on on Wednesdays and do do shows with the developmental program. Uh, We would do a live show every uh, every Wednesday night at uh, Old Miss at the University of Mississippi. There was like a billiards hall where you couldn't go to the top rope or else you'd hit your head um, on the on the ceiling, and we'd do that in like these you know, and we'd get we'd get, it was a drinking crowd. It was a bunch of college kids having beers and 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 drinks and just hanging out and having a good time. And we changed in a everyone who did the show was basically crammed into a room. It was like a ten by ten room, and that was where we with a curtain, and that's where we came out of and. And then Thursdays would be training. Friday we'd do a uh, we'd do a show someplace in the, in the mid in the mid south somewhere. Uh, Saturday morning we'd wake up, do live television for Memphis TV. It was Jerry Lawler's uh, TV show. And then Saturday night, sometimes we'd do another show in the afternoon, and then we'd always do a show at night for Memphis Championship Wrestling. So Jerry Lawler's was called Power Pro Wrestling at the time. So we'd do his his show live, and then. Uh, Memphis Championship Wrestling uh, at night. And then we get, most of the guys would get Sunday off. Rodney, uh, myself, and then Joey Abs was at that point in the picture. Um, we would either be traveling to do to do shows for WWE, or we would get a day off and then have to leave first thing Monday morning, depending on where the flight, uh, depending on what city we were in, you know, traveling from Memphis. What was that like for you at this point? Because obviously you're working, you know, a ton and, and you're traveling a lot and kind of more than uh, some of the other guys. Do you like that because you were getting a lot of experience? I can honestly tell you, I woke up every single day. Now, I wake up every day now and I I like what I do for work. But I woke up jumping out of bed, and I and I truly mean this with all my heart, jumping out of bed saying, I can't wait to find out what I'm doing today. And it was it was it was new. It was exciting. I mean, to live that lifestyle, to be able to, you know, that's why you know I see how people are worn out and, and beaten down, and you know they get tired of the job and all, whatever the case is. I guess it's the individual because for me, <clears throat> I absolutely loved it. I loved I loved the attention. I always loved giving autographs. I loved helping people out. Um, you know, whether it was charity or going to see, going to a hospital, whatever the case was, I enjoyed it. I, I, I truly did. I, I loved it, and uh, I just, I don't know. I, like, I, I just, I look at things and I see how how people are just not uh, happy sometimes doing things, and you know, the, the wrestlers, the wrestlers that are upset, those guys didn't have it like Rodney and I had it. Rodney and I never got to win a match. We never got to shine in a match. We basically just got our asses kicked, and I loved every bit of it. Um, you know, a wrestler has to have a high threshold for pain because there is a lot of it. Um, and I think we had it more than everyone because we basically took every finisher of the business 
who was with WWF at the time. So, I mean, to answer your question, I absolutely was thrilled about it. I loved, I, I savored every minute of it. That's what makes it even harder when uh, when, it, when it finally ends. It's hard to say goodbye to it. I could definitely see that, but you know, it, it is great that you enjoyed it so much, and uh, it's so good to hear because I was going to, it was kind of like saying to myself that I remember you guys' job so much, and you hardly ever won. So, I mean, it is great to see, you know, how much fun you had despite, you know, all the losing and all the, you know, all the beatings you guys were forced to take. Yeah, I mean, like when you when when you I look when I think back about it, I mean, you got to understand, like we <clears throat> we would show up in an arena at eleven o'clock. We don't we wake up early. Um, you know, we had driven through the night to the next city. We go to sleep, get a few hours sleep, wake up at like whatever, nine o'clock, go to the gym, work out. We're at the arena by noon, have lunch. And then that's when a lot of the fun happened. You know, we would have some fun. Like uh, the Godfather and I were a partners playing dominoes and we would, <laughs> we would, we would play for hours and we would face Taker and Kane. Uh, and then Prince Albert was uh he and Rikishi had a team, and we would just sit there and just play for hours and have fun and talk smack, and it was it was great. And you know there was a, you know you talk about a little reality check. There were times where I remember, you know, like these guys were my friends, and uh, you know I was the rookie, so I was uh, I was in charge of you know traveling with the dominoes. They were Godfather's dominoes. I still to this day have them. Um, he's. Uh, I, I remember one time just sitting at the table, we're laughing our asses off, and I just thought, all of a sudden, just pops in my head, look who I am playing dominoes with, you know? Because I'm, I, I, again, I'm still a fan, you know? I mean, I was a fan of these guys long before, you know, long before this ever happened, and I'm sitting there like now, I'm, I'm breaking balls with these guys, I'm talking smack, and just having a good time, and you know, I, it, I think missing. That's one of the biggest things I miss about being in the business is is the backstage, it's the locker room, it's being with those guys and you know, you see those guys more than your family and you know, they become actually an extension of your family, a whole other family and that's that's probably one of the hardest things to do is is say goodbye to that as well. So I could definitely see that. And, and, you know, talking about the locker room and stuff, I was always curious about this with you guys because you never truly know. And you said, you know, you guys had a good relationship with most of the guys and you guys were friends, but did you guys ever get, like, any unnecessary heat because you were uh, shamed boys, you know, so to speak? It's funny you say that because, by the way, everything you're asking is all covered in a book I'm writing, but I'll plug that later. Every single question you've asked is, is literally in this book. Um and it's it's well I'll get to that later. So uh yes, we uh we did get we did get heat um but it wasn't it was different though. So, you know, wrestling as you guys know is all about paying your dues. It's all about um you know, if if you get if you get on three segments on a Monday night raw and there's a guy that's not and you know, he's just sitting there, you know, there's there's a little resentment. But no one really showed any resentment to us because uh, because of sh- we're Shane's friends. You know they may have hated us in the beginning. I get that. You know I, I I think in the beginning no one expected us to be around very long. So we you know we did our thing and you know we we lost that loser leave town match with Briscoe and Patterson and I think everyone expected us to be gone, including us. We thought we were done. Um, from what I was told, the company you know they ended up getting you know 
request. They they knew they had something, a, a character that people love to hate. So they did bring us back um, about a month later, which gave us an opportunity to to train and uh, and get a little bit better, a little bit more, you know, get better taking bumps. Even though we didn't know how to do a match yet. And uh, but to answer your question, yeah, the, the guys at first weren't that, you know, they were they were friendly because they didn't think we were going to be around. And then when we came back, it was kind of like, you know, what are these guys doing here? And then we had to slowly earn our respect. You know, some guys were good with us. You know, Prince Albert, I love him to death to this day. He's a great guy. Test, Test and I hated each other at first. Um, you know, he was stiff. He was, you know, he was basically trying to, I don't know what his, I, I think he was trying to, you know, make a name for himself with the boys in the back, you know, to be a kind of a prick, and he was doing a good job of being a prick. Um, but once we did the SummerSlam match, all that training we did to get ready for it the week before, and, you know, we spent a lot of time together, we had a lot of meals together, we ended up, I, I loved the guy, and I it, it broke my heart when I found out he passed away. In fact, I had just talked to him the week before, um, about doing some shows with him in, in Europe. And and then uh, I remember getting that tech, that message. I'm sorry. I went online. I was waiting to hear from a, a buddy of mine to help him move some furniture. It was like 5 in the morning. And uh, I had read. I, I just went on the, you know some of the dirt sheets, and I had read that he had passed away. I remember calling him and uh, crying and just saying, uh, please tell me you're okay. Call me. Please, please, I'm gonna call you back. Answer the phone, and uh, I, I went. I was really, really blown away by that. And about an, about less than an hour uh, after that, it was confirmed that he had passed away. And I remember it just ripped my heart out because, uh, like I said, we just be, you come be very close to these guys, and you know, like in the beginning, it, it's not like that. And you know, you lose some of these guys, you lose for the wrong reasons, and you know, you lose touch with them or they just pass or whatever the case is. And it really rips your heart out when, when you, when someone like that, you're so close to, you know, they find them dead and just too young, you know, it's just too young to die. So. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely was gone way too soon. And, um, you know, obviously you guys, like you said, you would end up feuding, you know, for a bit, he did feud with the mean street posse, but if I could just touch on the mean street posse, as far as, you know, all the guys in the group, you know, you had yourself, you had Rodney, and, and obviously yeah. Joey Abs, who kind of was a, an outsider. Did you like, you know, having Joey Abs in? Because he was obviously he's not really from, you know, uh, the, the mean streets. <laughs> yeah, he's not from the mean <laughs> streets, but that didn't matter. He, uh, you know, we were, it was explained to us that, you know, we had to, while while we were learning, you know, this is not an easy thing. I mean, I know you guys, you see the shows and you see these guys with all the bruises and stuff. Um, you know, people are training. Um, oh, let me. I'll answer. I tend to drift, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with your question. I'm gonna <laughs> tell you something after. I drift like a mother, so did I, I apologize. No problem. Uh, <laughs> anyway, to answer your question, Joey Abs came with us, and because we needed to have a guy who can work, so our characters would still stay relevant, and uh, so he was basically the muscle of the group. And we, Rodney and I, were supposed to cause the hey, you know, the chaos you know, outside the ring and do other little things to help, you know, help get our characters over <clears throat> while we were still trying to, you know, learn the business. Um, but he he fit in so easily 
um, you know, right away as soon as uh, they signed him, he was actually supposed to, the, the, the character, Joey Abs was actually supposed to go to a, a kid named Steve Bradley, who also was a hell of a kid. He was with us in Memphis, and he had he'd gotten mono, and uh, he wasn't prepared, you know, he wasn't able to be called up at that time. So they they, they hired Joey Abs, Jason Arndt played Joey, Joey Abs, and it couldn't have been better. It couldn't. Have, I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved. I loved Steve. He was a great kid. Um, but Jason just is. He's he's one of us. I mean, he fit in so easily. He was on the road with us. Uh, you know, I, I I lived with him for over a year in Memphis. Um, it was just a perfect fit, and it just just he was just one of those guys. He was he helped us so much. He helped us learn the business, and. Uh, it was so appreciative of every, you know, everything he did. It was amazing. So, you know, he would teach us as we went on. He would explain things to us. Um, you know, he was, he wasn't selfish. He was, uh, he, he just, you know, he knew his, he knew that it was a group effort and, you know, he could have easily said, I'll do this, I'll do this and take control of the situation and, and shine and, and everything. But, you know, he gave, he gave us opportunities and, you know, he, he does, he never got enough credit for, being as good of a wrestler as he really is. So, now, yes. uh, go ahead, I'm sorry. What were we going to say? No, no, go ahead. No, uh, talk about you were going to move on to um, to Joey Abs, correct? Yeah, I don't. Now, see, that, that, this is why. See, when you, when you wrestle, you hit in the head a lot. I forget a lot of things, but I, I forgot. I was, I was going to go someplace before, and I said, oh, I forgot where I was going to say to you. I had, I had a, a story for you, and I can't remember what it was, and I apologize. Feel free to interject if it comes back to the brain. But okay. it's funny, you mentioned Steve Bradley because um, you know, we've talked about him before on the show that he was a guy who was in developmental uh, for a while and had a lot of uh, start and stop, you know, looking to his, you know, persona, his character, his, you know, time as a wrestler with WWE. And it's funny that you mentioned, you know, he was going to be uh, put into the role of the posse because they were always looking for something for Steve Bradley. So it's unfortunate yeah. that, it didn't work out for him, and unfortunately, he also was passed on. Um, you know, sad to say. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, let's get back into happier times now. We mentioned earlier the night of the debut of the Posse, the Greenwich Street fight, the corners pull up, boom, you guys get out of the car, you rush X Pac. Now, yeah. a veteran like X Pac at the time, who's a year back into being in the company, working with Shane, it really helped put Shane over as going from the Silver Spoon. Son of the, uh, you know, the the mean owner of the company, who's the uh, the main bad guy on TV, to actually giving Shane a little bit of credibility in the ring, which we would go on to learn he's very good <laughs> in the very ring. But good. talk about, yeah, talk about that night, jumping out of that car, beating down X Pac, and uh, as the rest they say is history. Well, that that night we uh, we showed up early to uh, to the arena, um, as as you're supposed to for Monday Night Raw, and they took us out to the it was in Albany at the Pepsi Arena, I think it's called, and uh, they had us talk, uh, going over what we were going to do for the match. And I remember, you know, fans, fans, just you know, X Pac's great. In fact, I uh, he's always been one of those guys to be very helpful and you know take good care of us. And and uh, that night was no exception. You know, we we went made he made sure everything was exactly the way it was supposed to be, and we understood what we had to do and. You know, we just we just did it, and you know, we got him. We just drove him into that, you know, into that uh, garage door, and Shane Shane got on him a little bit, and then gave him a nut shot, and 
then we all just took off. And I remember the crowd, there were, there were fans outside before the doors opened in the parking lot and they were, they hated us so much already that they were throwing loose change at us. They were hitting, they were throwing quarters, you know, all sorts of money, rocks, whatever. And they were, they were missing us and they were hitting the garage, the garage door. And finally they had to have security go up, up there and you know, get them to stop because we're trying to do a job. And, you know, here we go, you know, guys are people are already on us already. So it was shown that we already had real heat, uh, from, you know, right from the beginning. And instant heat. And you think about the look, you know, we kind of talked about that with the vignettes earlier. And, you know, I was joking with uh, my partner here and saying that, uh, I own many a sweater vest back in, uh, 1999. So I could sympathize with the heat, uh, maybe not the loose change, but definitely, uh, the heat. Now, you move on from the Greenwich Street fight, and you guys are ringside for WrestleMania. That had yeah. to have been just out of this world. You know, you go from uh, a concept of being a part of a promo to now being ringside at WrestleMania. And being a part of the match, you know, from a, uh, a catcall perspective and uh, really bringing a lot from that perspective. Now, how was that as you showed up to the arena that day, and now you're taking part in WrestleMania 15? Uh, we're, sitting, we're sitting in the front row, and I remember looking to – uh, about a row or two behind me and seeing a bunch of New York Giants. I'm a Giants fan. Um, and I'm, I'm looking and I'm seeing a bunch of Giants sitting there. And uh, Isaac Hayes was there. And they're all taking pictures of us. And, you know, I'm like, this is crazy. I can't believe it. So we're Rodney and I were sitting next to each other. And, you know, we, we get to watch the show in the front row and until our time until our time goes on. And until the uh, match with Shane and uh, Xbox, rather. And Rodney and I look up, and we're seeing all these signs. And I remember one sign that said, Rodney, or Pete Gass and Rodney are the icons of wrestling. And, uh, we, you know, we get a <laughs> kick out of that. But, you know, there's people backstage that actually do watch for that stuff. And, you know, they look to see who's, you know, they say if you have a sign, you're over with the crowd. And, and uh, so they, there were a bunch of signs, uh, Mean Street Posse, all, 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 all sorts of stuff, very creative signs. And uh, I guess you know they they knew they had something when you when and that's why they brought us back. But it was just amazing to be a part of the whole thing. And you know, no one told us what to do. You know, except for you know, we knew we had to grab X Pac and hold him, and then X Pac was going to break loose and he was going to hit me with an elbow in the chest. So I I figured you know what, it's my only time I'll probably ever be on television. So as soon as I get hit in the chest, I'm throwing myself back into a chair and in, into my seat. Sure enough, he hit me with that. I threw it back, and my natural instincts from watching from years is to sell that thing like he caved my chest in. So I'm sitting in the front. I'm I'm sitting sitting down afterwards after the match is still going on, and you know they keep they keep going back to to us, and I, and I'm just holding my chest and wincing like, oh man, he got me. And uh, Rodney was doing the same, and I think you know they realized you know, maybe these guys you know can get it you know i remember jerry lawler making comments on the on on the uh, going back and watching it saying you know basically saying that i was i was still hurting from the elbow um but it was just fun it just it it was one of those things where i just did what was instinctive and i think after a while you know it just became it it just became very natural it was was a great time Uh it's a great, yeah, it's a great part of WrestleMania 15, which was uh, kind of, it was an interesting WrestleMania, you know, from where they were going, because, uh, you know, Austin uh, was really, you know, kind of uh, starting to 
kind of lose that top spot to The Rock. Uh, the Rock was just so over, even though he was a heel. Now, the funny part is I'm a, a little bit of a loner tonight because uh, I'm the only person in this uh, little chat who was not at WrestleMania 15 because my partner was also front row at WrestleMania 15. If you saw two twins wearing ridiculous Hawaiian shirts, that was uh, primetime <laughs> pause of the two-man power trip and his, uh, and his dopey brother in Hawaiian shirts. But it was 1999, and that was definitely uh, a good look for them. But... What happened after? Now, what happened after WrestleMania? What did they tell you uh, off the bat? Now, was that planned for you now to start getting involved in the storylines, or were no. you? No. So that was just organic. That after WrestleMania, they were like, "We got to get these guys uh, into what something and fast." Right after we didn't even we didn't even expect to get paid, and I, totally, <laughs> I I'm, I'm I'm totally serious. We so what happens was mania mania happens. Next day we drive home. I take we had taken a day off from work on that Monday. Uh, drove home from Philly. Got home about I'd say maybe the end of the week. Not even no. It had to be more than that. A week and a half later, Shane called Rodney Rodney and I in his office and said, uh, "He goes here. This is for you guys." And he handed us envelopes. We literally said, "What's this?" We had no idea. And we opened it. We're like, we we got paid. We had no idea we were getting paid for that. And <clears throat> so we were, you know, that was even better because we're, you know, we're two broke guys in our, you know, late twenties. You could always use a few extra bucks. And uh, so we were happy as hell. So then, about uh, oh, at that point, he handed us the checks and said, "How much vacation time do you guys have?" And, uh, you know, we, we had tons of, you know, we, we're media, you know, we, we didn't travel. We didn't do anything. We didn't go on vacations. That's not, you know, we just, we never used any time, you know, we barely used any sick days. So he said, uh, he goes, we want to bring you guys on the road. Now, back then raw was shot live on a Monday and then Tuesday they shot the tape. They taped it for the following Monday. So you're only on the road every other week. So they asked us to go on the road, so we were on the road for about a month and a half, two months, and you know we were using vacation time, and you know it was I was running an office in uh, in Queens, Astoria, Queens. Uh, it was a, like a production company, uh, production equipment, and uh, so and I was a one man show, so I did all the work myself, and taking time off wasn't that good, so I was kind of pressing my luck with those guys, so. We lost this loser leave town match, and I thought it was over. And we ended up getting at that point again a week or so later. Shane called us back in the office, and we felt pretty shitty because we we got a taste of it for about for a couple months, and then it was over. So we were like, uh, you know, we we were bummed out. And then all of a sudden, Shane called us back and says, "Hey," he goes, uh, "We." I mean, he called us into his office and handed us envelopes again, big, you know, big thick, eight, you know, I don't know, big envelope, big Manila envelopes, and inside was uh, our contracts. And I remember taking it out to the parking lot, and I still have my contract. My contract's in my, uh, I have it in my file cabinet now. Um, and every once in a while, I go back and look at it and just smile because I, I never thought in a million years we'd ever get a contract, uh, you know three one-year deal contracts to, to be with uh, WWF at the time. So, 
And I remember just being in the parking lot and just high-fiving and hugging and screaming and just being so excited and getting ready. Just wanted to get to work. Just wanted to start be better in every, in every little ass, you know, every little part, little every facet. Yeah, no, that's such an awesome story. And that's, uh, you kind of you gripped me there because, you know, as, uh, as being somebody who can look out on the outside and say, wow, you know, that's everything I think just your regular fan would imagine that emotion being of getting that, that deal. And uh, that's just, that's really cool. So that's a great story. But now let's talk about that loser leaves uh, the WWF match at the time. Patterson and Briscoe, now you've established very well. You're a very good old school fan. So you got two legends here that you guys are now getting in, in you know, just entrusted to um, for just great comedy every week. The uh, the backstage segments, the interactions are fantastic. You know, you guys are getting into some matches here and there. But talk about working with Patterson and Briscoe at that point, classified as stooges, but still every bit over. And just, you know, you guys just had such a great dynamic on every show that you were on. Yeah, we... So we we had to work with uh not we had to we we got fortunate enough to work with Briscoe and Patterson and uh you know Briscoe Briscoe could hold his own he could see at the time especially at the time he he was ready to I mean God forbid we ever hurt we we never wanted to hurt these guys that was first and foremost I think that was one thing that Rodney and I going in said you know with anyone that we worked with you know I I don't know how anyone could live with themselves if they hurt someone physically in the ring like with it whatever, if they got paralyzed, whatever the case is. Um, but we didn't want, we didn't want to hurt them. We wanted to put on a good show. We definitely wanted to put them over, I, I think in that order. Um, and the the thing was, uh, Patterson was, he was leery, you know, he didn't, he was, he was nervous. He didn't want to, he didn't want to get, uh, get injured. He thought that we would, you know, hurt him. So, you know, we were careful about what we did with him. And, you know, like I said, Briscoe, Briscoe's the opposite. Briscoe was pretty much, you know, you know, he was he was worried not worried about it, but he was he was aware of it, and he just made sure he he was funny as hell. Like in the ring, he would do stuff and throw us out out of the ring, and then get on top of us and start punching us on the floor. And meanwhile, one time he puts his hand over my mouth and my nose, and I couldn't breathe. And he's he's oh, he's got my he, he's I, he cut my air off, and he's just looking me dead in the eyes, and he's laughing his ass off. And you know we had fun out there, and you know Rodney and I again we you know we wanted to put on a good show, and we just we we literally threw our bodies all over the place to make sure those guys you know looked as good as possible, and, the, and, it, and it paid off because the crowd the crowd went crazy for it, and everyone wanted to see us get our asses kicked, and you know it set a, it set a record for WWE for a 15 minute segment, and uh, I don't know if it still exists to this day, but I know it did for. a a good 20 years. No, I'm not sorry, not 20 years, what I'm saying. A good 10 years. Um, and, uh, you know, that was a testament to the writers and Pat and Jerry and, and just the, the way the way the whole characters were developed. Yeah, the segment uh, for a very long time um, just was a complete standout in terms of the, you know, the ratings books and being something you could reflect on as, funny as it was because the attitude era was so serious you know this was something that was very light and had its obvious comedic elements which you guys were so good at as being the foil and also being the instigators but then you look at some of the other guys that you were in the ring with and you know Patterson and Briscoe being such you know great great legends and then you look at guys that down the road Wait, before you, I know, sorry 
Sorry, I don't, I don't mean yeah. to cut you off, but I got a story that I know you'll appreciate with that, um, with that Hit whole it. segment. Let's hear it. Okay. Yeah. So Vince did not uh, – Vince was worried about favoritism with us and did not show us any favoritism, you know. Uh, very rarely would he uh, would he talk to us. You know, he was obviously a busy guy, so but he um, never wanted to show us favoritism. You know, worked us hard, and uh, you know, it was that was part of the business. You know, we were getting paid to do it. Um, but after that weekend, when we we had the match, you know, that was on a Monday night. We do the show Tuesday night, and the ratings come out the next day, so they have an idea, and uh, you know, even Shane. In the beginning, when we were first, you know, when we were first at WWE for the first, like, maybe month or so, um, for the first month, Shane would drive in the car with us, and it was like old times. It was like being in high school again or college, and we were on the road, and we were, you know, busting balls and having a great time, and then I think Vince said, you know, you're not, don't travel with these guys anymore. You're going to put them in a bad spot, because if they get TV time, it looks like favoritism. It's not going to be, it's not good for the company. So... Shane went back to riding with his dad, and uh, after that, like I said, the ratings came out that Tuesday, and we got a phone call as we were driving home, and uh, it was like, you know, after, uh, it wasn't SmackDown, so after we did the second Raw, and uh, it was Shane, and Shane goes, hey, he goes, uh, someone here wants to talk to you, and it was Vince, and Vince, Vince said, I just want you guys to know the ratings came out, and you know, he told us about the ratings, and he told us how proud he was of us. And I, I will, to the, I'll never forget that. To me, it meant so much because, you know, like I said before, you know, one of the big things was us not, um, not wanting to uh, get anyone hurt. But it was also, we, you know, we did this stuff for the McMahons. That's why we never expected a paycheck at first. None of that. It was all like we were doing a, a favor to the McMahon family, and we wanted to make sure that, you know, we, we did our part the best to the best of our ability. And yeah, that's, which brings me up to another thing that I was going to say to you before. Um, I did remember it now. Uh, you know, a lot of people like to shit on the mean street posse and this, this the so-called true fans. And, and, uh, they, they like to knock the character. You see, I see it on the internet. Sometimes you see it, which I don't care. I could care less what people think. Um, but those true fans or any other fan for that matter, if they ever think about the fact that they took two guys off the street with no experience, we had athletic ability. Obviously, I played college football. Rodney was, a, you know, an athlete. Um, but they took two guys with no wrestling experience, put us in the ring. Now you, you see all the training that these guys do on Tough Enough and all that stuff, and how hard it is. But they put us on live television and, and told us to go, go for ten minutes, and work and try to get your, you know. Try not to kill yourself or get anyone else hurt. And we did it, and we lasted for th- almost three years. So when you when you take perspective where, you know, you have two guys off the street, I, I'd like to see those guys that have all those little comments. I'd like to see how they would do coming off the street in a ring, you know, and, and taking finishing moves from, you know, taking a tombstone from Kane or, you know, a stunner from Stone Cold or a rock bottom or whatever the case is. You know, when you've never done it before, that's the fun, you know, that's the funny thing about it. So that's why, you know, about that criticism, like I said before, I'm I'm writing a book and that's that's in in part of the book about how, 
how that whole perception thing is and how people used to call us, you know, everything from mean street pussies to whatever, which that there's heat. That's, I want to be called that. That means, that means I'm doing my job. But when you get the, the guy from, I don't know, some, from some town or, you know, that he never did anything before. And he's, you know, he's probably been playing video games and eating peanut butter and jelly in his mom's basement. Um, talking about making comments about how we sucked. I'd like to see his ass get in the ring and see what happens. So, that's all. I got my rant out for the day. I'm pretty good. <laughs> now, that's great because I'm about to go on another one right after you. So, with that being said, with the people who do have those kinds of comments, it's absolutely ridiculous because I feel like there's a uh, uh, kind of consensus um, perception about, you know, people who had that role back in, you know, the Attitude Era or even before then in the new generation or even before that back in the old, you know, the, the heyday of the 80s. Um, people don't understand that guys have to fill roles. And especially, like you said, you're coming off, you know, technically the streets and the mean streets, but you're coming off the streets yeah. and, you know, you're getting into a full board. Nobody could do that these days because you see how a contrived show like a Tough Enough uh, builds a narrative rather than lets it develop on television like you guys did every week. And that's absolutely great. And those people can go kiss ass, you know, for all I care. But now I'm going to go back to what you were talking about with Vince. And that is to get a compliment from the chairman himself has got to be out of this world. But is your reward then going into a semi-tag team feud with the Acolytes? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to tell you how that started. And that was bullshit because I got thrown into something I didn't do. We're on a plane coming, coming back home, and Vince, Vince and Shane are sitting in first class. This is before Vince had his jet. And uh, Vince is – closed his eyes for a little bit, which he rarely does, and Rodney and I are sitting front row of coach, um, you know, for all that extra leg room that they give, right? So uh, they were sitting there, all of a sudden, Rodney's sleeping and gets hit in the face with a magazine, and uh, Rodney goes to pick up the magazine and goes to throw it at Shane. And Shane gives like a Dikembe Mutombo type finger shake, and he goes, "No, no, no!" He, and he points over at Vince, like, "Don't you don't hit him." So I, I, I just said, "Rod, let it go, let it go." So Rodney basically flips off Shane, puts the magazine down, and closes his eyes again. Less than five minutes later, Rodney gets hit in the face again because Shane's a, Shane's an instigator, and uh, so now Rodney can't do it because now Shane's laughing, Vince kind of knows what's going on so he he's kind of chuckling and all of a sudden Rodney goes up to the stewardess and says um excuse me uh do you mind making an announcement on the plane uh can you let them know that um wrestling superstar WWF superstar Shane McMahon is on the plane and would love to give autographs to any of his fans when they, when the plane lands you know after it it, it taxis and, and stops so Shane Shane had to do it. And so Vince gets a huge laugh out of it. He has that big, deep, you know, that big laugh. And all you hear is that from first class. So Shane turns and looks at both of us, and he said, I'll get even with you guys. That following week, that Monday, we we were facing the Acolytes. And it went oh, on. Oh, man. <laughs> and it really, it literally went on for, I, I, it felt like forever. Um, and uh, it... It sucked at the at first, but then it got to be fun, and it was one of those things where I, it's you know like, like I said, wrestling is all about respect, and we Rodney and I 
didn't pay our dues. We didn't go travel to Memphis or other whatever other towns doing indie shows, and I get that. We paid our dues in a different way. Um, we basically earned people's respect by getting our asses kicked, and no one did it better than Bradshaw. I mean, Bradshaw and, and uh, Farouk, because those two just beat the shit out of us every single week. And uh, it was just, you know, it was one of those things. And uh, sometimes they beat us up tw- three, you know, three times a week. Sometimes it was two. But we just, it just turned into something. But I know for a fact that um, Bradshaw, Bradshaw told me months later uh, in, in Memphis, he came and did a show with us uh, for, for Memphis Championship Wrestling. And he pulled me aside and he actually said, made a comment to, yeah, you, you know, that night that he, he he wrapped the chair around my head and uh he literally he told me at that point um yeah yeah i i earned his respect that night in fact i earned his respect so much he's actually doing the forward of my book so it's uh yeah all right yeah so that's that's something that you know he's already we're looking for a publisher now so that'll be uh i'm looking forward to it and he he was gracious enough to take time out of his busy schedule to do it and you know I, I appreciate every bit of it that is awesome and you know talking about earning somebody's respect uh you definitely did there and uh you know you always hear stories about bradshaw and Farouk. you know you know not taking liberties but you know being a little stiff and seeing if the guys can take it or not and you know that that's a great story of you know you truly taking it and then you know him and him you know going out of his way almost to show you uh you know his respect for you guys definitely He's uh, if you ever listen to his his uh, his when he does his the the Monday Night Raw, he he always pays homage to the to wrestlers from the past, not just the Attitude Era, but you know he goes back to wrestlers in the '70s and '80s, and he you know he knows the history of it. And to be honest with you, I think every wrestler should. Uh, and it, like I said, it's all about respect and paying paying respect to people that have you know paved that way for you in the past. And it just it. it it's a it's an unbelievable profession to be in, just because of that alone. You know, like you go into, you go to, you, know, you have a job, everyday job. I, I'm I'm in sales now, and you know, people respect you, people don't respect you. In that business, you're you may not like me, but you're gonna respect me. And that's just you know, that's uh, it's it's an amazing thing that whole that whole wrestling industry and being a part of it. For sure, and you know, speaking of like amazing things and, and the spectacles of it all, I you know really remember quite fondly because it's it's almost funny in a way too. But the the Hardcore Battle Royal WrestleMania 16, obviously, you know, you would then become the two-time Hardcore Champion. But what was it like, you know, that that day? You know, you're going to win a title at WrestleMania, and you know, you're going to be a part of something that is you know so out there and so bizarre, but yet so entertaining. Uh, to be honest with you, I I knew when I was supposed to. I knew when I was supposed to win it. Um, I almost forgot. I had a, I had a concussion. I swear to God. I, you know, I, I'll get on. The, just say concussion to me later, so I remember to tell you the stories. But uh, that part, I mean, we were when we went through. We did a walkthrough of the of the match. You know, all of us together, and uh, on where and who was going to win at what point, and you know, I mean, it it almost it was almost perfect until the very end. Um, the ending was screwed up, but other than that, everything else was perfect. Um, but yeah, I knew I'd gotten in, uh, viscera, uh, had hit me with a box fan and it tore my head wide open. 
and uh, I ended up, um, I, I had a, you know, a crimson mask, you know, I, could, I couldn't see, I had blood in my eyes, and definitely had a concussion, I, everyone heads towards the back, and I knew as the, as we came back out, that's when I was supposed to hit Thrasher with the, you know, spray him in the face with the uh, fire extinguisher, and then hit him over the head with it, go for a pin, and for me, it was like, when I actually got the pin, co- the cover, it hit me all at once, like, I just won a belt, even though I was going to lose it, I was going to lose it, at, you know, in less than probably 30 seconds later, but um, <laughs> even though it still goes under the record books as being a win, and it was done at WrestleMania, so for me, it was like, all right, so I don't get to take it home, I don't get to show it off, I don't have to go through, you know, I don't have to go through the, you know, the airport with it or whatever, uh, which sucks, and I, sh- I wish I did, but it didn't happen that way, And uh, but you know what? I got it at WrestleMania. So I remember just raising my arms when, when Timmy White grabbed my wrist to raise my hand in victory. I remember just letting out a yell, and it was just it was literally from from the bottom of my heart. I just loved it. It was just such a great feeling. So, And then Taz hits me as soon as that happens. So, and then <laughs> and then my ass over to the ring and suplexes me for a pin. You know, it's so memorable. But, you know, you know it's so funny but so entertaining, that whole thing. But... I gotta say, since you you know you mentioned it, what about those concussions? I well, the reason why I said it because I was watching I was watching Breaking Ground the other um, I'm I'm one episode behind, so I haven't seen last night. But uh, you know they were doing talking about this this guy that was in the NFL that had a concussion, and how you know he had he hadn't wasn't allowed to wrestle for three weeks. And to me, I you know it, times have changed because I I've had so many concussions and I never said a word so I never complain you know I was just one of those things you don't complain if you complain that you're hurt and you don't whatever you just you know you don't you're not on TV and you you, you could you could possibly be out of a storyline and then you're screwed and then you're not doing anything you're just on the sidelines and eventually you get cut so we just always work through pain and injuries but the, the as far as like concussions go I can't. I couldn't tell you. I, I mean, I must have had. I can't tell. I mean, we took so many finishes and got our asses kicked and chair shots and all sorts of stuff. And it was just the next day. It was just business as usual. You know, we just went back and did it. And you know, I'm not trying to say it was smart, but we didn't know any better. You know what I mean? Um, we just went and did it. So I just think it's amazing now how much they've advanced with this, the whole thing, and you know, protecting the guys and. It's crazy, so that's all. That's all I wanted to say about it. It just, I, I just didn't, I, I just wasn't used to it. And you know, like I said, we jobbed so much and took so many people's, we took beatings from so many different people that it just was like whatever. You know, it was just another day at the office. We got, our, we got our bells wrong. You know. Yeah. Did you ever think like, man, I have a concussion, or you're like, ah, I just got my bell wrong a little bit. Just got my bell wrong. I didn't know. I didn't know. I mean, I. I the way I look at it is I must I I can't tell you how many I have like I do have some serious memory loss and I have some uh, some neck issues and stuff where I have like uh, I don't know, like like some something going on in the back there um, and it's worse you know it's more like arthritis or something like that uh, scar tissue that I was told originally it was scar tissue um, but you know we just between playing football through high school, college, and then going into wrestling, 
where there's no protection. You know, when we played football, I led with my, I led with my head. Everything I did, I led with my head. Now you can't do that. You know, at, in any level, you can't do that. So, it's it's definitely it's definitely you know, it's, it, well I mean, I mean well I don't know if I'll see a, a a difference ten twenty years from now or not. I have no idea. I know I see a difference now when I can't remember my niece's name or stuff like that. It's kind of crazy, but. I would do it all again. If if the WWE called me and said, hey, we need you on a plane tonight, my bags would be packed in five minutes and I'd be gone. Because it was, it was worth every bit of it. I gotcha. Was that kind of like how it was when you made your return in, like, I believe it was 2007 for that big anniversary show? Was that kind of yeah. like, wow, I can't believe I'm getting the call. I'm jumping, you know, jumping on the plane. I'm getting there. I wish I had gotten some notice to maybe do, you know, maybe do a little cardio but uh it was i got i had about five or six days notice and uh it was funny thing about it was it was in bridgeport connecticut and i was living i was living in stanford uh stanford connecticut not far from the office and shane called me and said uh i had asked him for tickets because we figured there was a it was a big show it was a monday night raw it was live i had like eight buddies going and we were all going to go our plan was to leave. So we're taking like half days at work. We were going to leave around three o'clock. There's a bar that I know of, you know, not too far from there. We were going to go hang out at the bar and drink, and then we were going to go watch a show and have some fun and, and enjoy the show. So Shane had called me that Tuesday prior and said, "Hey, uh, he goes, you're going to Raw, right?" And I said, "Yeah." I said, "Can you meet up for a beer?" And he said, "No." You know, he's like, "No." He goes, "But hey, by the way," he goes, "Do you want to work?" And I said, like, I literally got chills. I said, hell yeah. So he said, uh, all right. He goes, uh, you know the deal. Show up around show up around 12, uh, you know, go to the to the back of the building. And, uh, you know, he, oh, actually, he said, Howard Finkel will call you with all the details. So Fink called me, gave me the, you know, he told me what was going to happen, that there was going to be a battle royal, uh, a gimmick battle royal, and it was it was so much fun just to be back there, and I couldn't believe how much, in that short of time, things had changed. So, it was just more more scripted back then. In, in 2007, they they went they went to scripts where you had to memorize a script and you had to practice. We I remember we had to practice walking down the ring before the match, before the doors opened, and I I was like, why the hell do I have to practice walking down there? Like they wanted to know what we were gonna do, like our hand like. If we were like the posse used to pound their chest, you know, do the, you know, uh, you, you tap your heart, you know, or whatever. I don't even know what the hell they call it nowadays. But uh, you know, Shane does it. We used to do it. It's like like a double pound on the chest to the people, and uh, you know, so I had to do all that in front of them just to get a, you know. And I was like, okay, but it was just so much different. It was just like it was more, much more of a production. I have no idea what it's like now. It's probably even more so for production than ever. So definitely crazy, you know, definitely times have changed and it's definitely more scripted now, but you know, obviously somebody, you know, like Shane Mac who you've been close with forever, you know, we've recently seen him pop up at the uh, the Spectre premiere with uh yep. Dave Batista over there, James Bond. What's your current uh, relationship like with Shane McMahon? Do you guys still like uh, best buds? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things. I'm sure you know you have a you have your buddy and and you have your buddies that you grew up with, and some you lost complete touch with, some you haven't lost a, a, 
haven't lost touch with, and then there's some where you know you kind of see each other, or whatever. I, I physically, Shane is very busy. I haven't physically seen Shane in a while, but uh, I still talk to him about once a month at least, and once every two weeks I try to get, reach out to him. Um, you know, he's always he's always in China now. You know, he has he has a company now that he's been working with. So there's some sometimes I talk to him twice and twice a week. Sometimes I don't talk to him. For six weeks, you know, it all depends on his work schedule when we decide to call each other. So, um, but yeah, and the one thing I could say about Shane is same with Rodney. It's as soon as you pick up the phone and start talking, it's like you never missed a beat. You know, once you get past the, you know, how's the wife, how's the kids, you know, then it's like right back to, you know, what's going on with this? And then it's a bunch of laughs and it's like it's never changed. But uh, I saw that he was at the premiere and you know, I have an eyebrow raise, but I don't know. I don't know anything. He, the one thing about Shane is when we wrestled, or even before we wrestled, you know, you try to ask Shane like, "Hey, what's going to happen in this match?" He would he would kayfabe the shit out of it. He wouldn't say anything. He'd say, uh, "I don't know, enjoy it." And you know, that's just the way it is. He, and you know, even if even if he did say to me he was going to do it, I I wouldn't say it. He can't. Why ruin Why ruin the surprise for everybody? You know what I mean? But he hasn't yep. said shit to me, so I'm not trying to hide anything. I don't know anything. Um, I haven't spoken to Shane in about three weeks. So, uh, unfortunately, I don't have any dirt on that. But I I hope he's going to do it. I would love to see him. If he ever came out, that place, if he ever went to what, the AT&T and came out for WrestleMania, that place would go crazy. That place would explode. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, Obviously, you know, he's been gone for quite a while. I don't even know if you really know this, but I know, obviously, he, he's still obviously close with his family and stuff. But was there a specific reason why he wanted to, like, step away? Did he kind of just want to do his own thing and obviously build up his brand over in China? I think he, um, you know, he had connections. Um, I think it's one of those things you don't want to live in your dad's shadow. I don't, you know, to be honest with you, I think the only person that could really, truly answer that is Shane. Um, you know, I, I think it's, It'll always be in his blood to be in the business. Whether or not he ever comes back, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Um, but he, he's one of those guys that, you know, he, he truly loved the business. He loved everything about it. Um, but maybe it was something that he, he had to prove to himself. You know, it's kind of like the question you asked me earlier when about, you know, like what his plans were, you know, about taking over the business. We never talk about it. That's just something that, you know, like I said, when we talk, it's more about how's a wife, how's the kids, and then start busting each other's balls. It's never, <laughs> it's never like, you know, hey Shane, you know, what do you see going on, and you know, like, whatever. Like, if anything, you know, like, like he wouldn't even tell me when his pu- company first went public. I said, should I, should I buy stock? He wouldn't even give me an answer. He said, I can't tell you that. Or I go, you think is this thing gonna get me rich? He wouldn't answer me. It, it's just as he says, that's illegal. I said, no, it's called insider trading. That's what I need. I said, I need to make some money, and he wouldn't do it. That's just that's just the way he is. You know, he's he's very close, and it has nothing to do with him not loving me because he does. It's it's about you know he just doesn't want to. Certain things are not meant to be discussed, and with regards to his his relationships with wanting to. Um, you know, in his new business, in the old business, whatever business, that's that's all separate. That's the, that's a whole different world from Shane and I, and and we don't talk about you know we don't talk about business for anything. We just it's just about friends. That's about it. 
Yeah, you know, I just want to dial it back one sec, uh, just talking about uh, dark matches, because if you really do some digging on YouTube, you'll be able to find some amazing feeds to some old dark match footage. Um, and you guys are in a lot of them. And a lot of times you're facing the Dups. And it seemed like the yeah. Dups were, you know, kind of in line for that Dudley's role before the Dudley's came in. Um, and you guys kind of traded wins back and forth. Like you said, you know, the, the posse lost a lot, but you guys did get some wins over the Dups and dark matches. And I remember one in New Jersey specifically uh, where the posse did get the best of the Dups. But did you like those dark matches? And obviously, you know, you're the, when your music hits and you're the first, quote, you know, the star of the night, uh, the crowd always reacted to you guys uh, in both positive and negative because you're the first guys out. But how did you like those uh, dark matches and working the Dups at that point? Well, you got to remember too. The dark matches were there to to, to give us experience uh, working matches. You know, we were still working philosophy. You know, still learning philosophy of a match. We were still doing, uh, still trying to get used to working in front of a crowd. Um, having the ability to to get a crowd to react to the things that you're doing, and you know, our characters already had that because they were already established at that time. So that's why you know we would get a pop, either good or bad. Um, but those matches, I, I mean, I, I think the to- overall record on those matches versus the Dups, I think it was uh, 85 to 84 us. I mean, that's how many times we wrestled each other. I mean, it was it was crazy. We, we, we literally wrestled each other for a couple of years every single night. You know, not only not only with, you know, WWE, but back in Memphis Championship Wrestling and, and Power Pro, it was just one of, we always wrestled them. I mean... Great guys and uh, great workers. Um, characters just never developed. I always saw their characters of being the Wyatt family minus the, you know, that that dark side. That's that's to me. That's what it was. You know, they were the, you know, there was bowed up and jacked up and you know, all those guys. You know, they had that 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 hillbilly type uh, look to them, and it, it just you know. The, the Wyatt family is a whole other breed. It's it's fantastic, you know. But it was that that's where they were. It was kind of like that same character, just uh, just a, a slight different version of it, or a big version, a big different version. But it's a much better version now with the Wyatt family. Yeah, the Wyatt family, pretty good, and they're pretty impressive. But uh, you know, the Main Street Posse was pretty impressive. But uh, one question I was kind of forgot to ask you before about the Main Street Posse. You know, and and them as a faction, they were actually bigger than what was presented on TV. What happened to Willie Green and Billy P? It's probably the toughest question I'm going to ask you. Uh, actually, there was there was five of us at WrestleMania. There was uh, Rodney, myself, uh, Billy P, which was Bill Pirro, Willie Green, who was himself, and Chris Sahowitz, who actually was very close to us. He was actually Shane's roommate in college, um, and. It was the five of us went down, and uh, I think I have a I have a theory on what happened. You know, there's I I just think that there was the certain guys. You know, like I don't know if Willie, uh, like Billy got hit, didn't sell it. He didn't sell it at all. I don't know if you know. It, I don't think it mattered that much that he didn't sell it. I just don't know if they felt he had the the head for it or or what or. If they just felt like you know Rodney and I um, were kind of the originals because we were part of the vignettes, and you know I don't know maybe it was our our temperament you know uh, Willie Willie not you know Willie's kind of had other demons 
that he was involved with. So I don't know if they wanted to get that and you know that whole thing going. Uh, but whatever for whatever reason, you know, like I said, there were signs with Rodney's and my name on it. Whatever the case is, um, they just decided to go with just uh, with Rodney and I, um, which caused a little resentment. I know that Willie Willie was unhappy. He was mad at me for whatever reason. I don't know why everyone why he was mad at me. Uh, but it was just one of those things where, you know, he, uh, I did they didn't think he, they didn't think the other guys were as good of a fit, I guess. So. Now, when you were, you know, gone, basically, I mean, I guess it was around 2001, was that like you were, your contract was just up and you were gone or was it kind of an injury thing or, you know, no. basically what was the issue there? <clears throat> what happened from what I'm, I'm told, well, I, I know, it was, I know what happened. Uh, See, we got released in July, early July of uh, 2001. In January of 2001, they, well, let me back up a little bit further than that. In the fall, or I would say like November of 2000, Tommy Blanchard, who was the writer, back then they had writers that handled specific wrestlers. And Tommy Blanchard was our writer. You know, we would go to, like, these 24-7 rules, you know, locations, and he would actually give us input on stuff, and we'd have a blast. And then he went to go off to do a sitcom, with, you know, with a, a bunch of other guys. And when he left, our characters slowly started to decline. We weren't on television as much. We weren't... Uh, we weren't doing as much comedy. I felt, I felt like our, our characters were great when we were doing comedy and, and doing some goofy things out there. And it was, it was fitting those characters. And eventually we'd have to get serious. I would hope, but at that time they literally just, it literally started almost drop off the table, our characters. And, uh, once that happened, um, you know, Tommy leaving, um, that about a month or two month and a half later, they took us off television because we just started doing less and less. And they told us, you know, we were gonna, we we were to start training, we were to start developing new characters, which we had already been doing for about six to eight months, where we had our own characters developed, and we were gonna, um, eventually they were gonna bring us back as a Mean Street Posse and break us up, and then we were gonna go on and have singles careers, um, and then uh, probably about, so that was in July. I remember my last match being with the guys on television was in San Jose and then we were we were off and then three months later I was told that I was being shipped to Puerto Rico to work with Savio Vega as my trainer and I was told that I was going to be uh, trained to be a high flyer and at my size they felt like if I was able to do that it would be that much more impressive so at that time they brought Myself, D'Lo Brown, and uh, Mosh from the Headbangers. The three of us went to Puerto Rico in IWA, and, and we were known as the White Angels. They put masks over us, and we were there. You know, we were there for about three months, and then eventually, <clears throat> I remember I got a phone call. It was a Wednesday because we were about to go. Uh, we're, it was Wednesday afternoon. We were about to go get ready to go do a show. Uh, on the island, the three of us drove together, and uh, I got a phone call from Joey Abs because he and Rodney were still in Memphis. And he called and said, uh, he goes, hey, he goes, just wanted to hear a voice that make me laugh. 
And uh, I said, what's the matter? Is everyone okay at home? And he said, no. He goes, everyone's fine. He goes, uh, I just got released. And I said, what? Abs is a great wrestler. He just didn't get he didn't get the opportunity that he, he that if he had gotten he would have showed that he could do it. Um, he was actually fantastic, and he was strong as an ox, and he was just the, everything about him. He was he was great. The only thing, maybe the only flaw was his was his uh, his mic skills, but he never really got the opportunity to develop those, so that's not really his fault. But as, as far as a worker, he was he, he could work all day. So anyway, he he told me that. Uh, they were in Memphis, and a guy named Bob Clark was calling guys in one-on-one and basically either sending them to Louisville, which is where, like, Randy Orton and those guys and Brock Lesnar and, and Batista and all those guys were, or they were going, either going home or going to Louisville. So uh, he and Rodney both got released. He put Rodney on the phone. I talked to him. And I remember going to the show that night and saying – Saying to myself, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm fucked. And I remember sitting, I was sitting in the back seat, and D'Lo and Chad said, No, you're not. You're not. You're not the Mean Street Posse anymore. You're Pete Gas. You're in Puerto Rico for a reason. And I just had one of those feelings that it was just, you know, they were chopping heads for a reason. But you know, WCW was bought by Vince. They were making it into one, one company. He had so many wrestlers, and he only had a certain amount of airtime. There was you know, there was nothing for me. They had to start cutting some of the guys, and we had to be cut. There wasn't, from what I was told by Shane years later, we had to be cut because that's why, uh, you know, or else there would really be resentment with us. So anyway, that, that, that Thursday, I'm, dry, I'm walking with, with a bag of groceries, and Bob Clark calls me, and I see it come up on my cell phone. And uh, I said, hey, Bob. And he says, hey, you busy? I said, I'm just walking with some groceries. He's like, oh, okay. He's like, I'll call you back. Or he goes, call me back. And I said, just give me the fucking news. And he says, well, hmm. he goes, uh, you know, the company's going in a different way. And he goes, we're going we're gonna to put you in contact with Dr. Death. He's out in Japan. We, want to, we, we still want you to keep working. He goes, we've seen how much you've improved. And we think you can do this. I said, Bob, if you thought you could do this, if you thought I could do this, you wouldn't be cutting me. And uh, he goes, oh, I know. He goes, but he goes, we do see the potential in bringing you back someday. We want you to keep continuing to do the, to do this. We um, so I did try to do that, and then nine eleven hit a couple months later. I never heard from Doctor Death nor the office to get me in touch with him. And that was and once nine eleven hit. That was the end of it. I was I wasn't doing really any any independent shows, and you know, it was fine. Time to start finding finding another job. So. But um, one of the biggest things that made me feel good was I got a call from Chris Benoit uh, the week I got cut. He had gone to Raw, I guess, and found out that I had been released. And he called me and he said, "Pete, he said, don't quit. You're 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 getting good." And you know, he he said, "You've gotten yourself in shape." I mean, I had lost 40 pounds. Uh, you know, I was a, a fat offensive li- former offensive lineman. Uh, when you first look at those vignettes, you could see it in my face. And then if you look, if you ever Google stuff, you'll see me in a singlet. You see the difference. It's 40 pounds of difference. It's just a, it's unbelievable how hard I worked to become one of the guys. And, uh, you know, he was talking about the business and, how you know, how my, my technique. And he made me feel great. You know, I got some really good phone calls. Um, you know, Chris Jericho, 
you know, Edge, Prince Albert, Test, all these guys reached out to me to say they were sorry, you know, and it's just, it was, it was, it, that's a good feeling because that means you, you got some respect. You know, that was one of the big things for me was I, I, you know, made me feel good because we went in there as, you know, a couple of Shane's buddies and we left wrestlers. So, but it was definitely a hard time. That is absolutely great, and as we uh, start to wind it down here, you know, that's a hard time, but definitely want to, you know, focus on, on the good times, and you said you had a lot of good, fun matches, and obviously, I mean, we mentioned a ton of them, uh, Patterson and Briscoe, you know, were fun and stuff, and, I mean, you guys you guys got to work everybody. I mean, we talked about the Acolytes, you guys got to work the Hardys, the Dudleys, talked about, you know, the Ducks, but do you have a favorite match or maybe matches that you had looking back? It's kind of, it, to be honest with you, it's it's really, really hard to, in a, we'll call it a three-year career to, to to kind of pinpoint one match that you know you just you know I mean I, I could I could name like you mentioned the Dudley Boys we did a show for Jack we did a, a match for Jack we, and I felt on a personal note working with the Dudleys I felt like everything I hit I nailed I, I to me it was you know same thing when we faced the, the that there's a Sunday Night Heat episode with us versus the Hardys and Edge and Christian are our managers and they were going to help us win the match. And there was all these vignettes and stuff. I had a blast doing that because Edge, Edge and Christian, uh, you know, those guys, they're, they're unbelievable. You know, um, everything about those guys just, you know, it's like I said, you, you just, you miss the guys so much, but the, the matches, it just, if I had to pick one match, a gun to my head, I'd have to say WrestleMania where I won the title for 30 seconds just because I, I won the title for 30 seconds, you know? But, uh, you know, there's there's so many different ones. Like, like, the very first episode of SmackDown ever, I get a rock bottom from The Rock, you know? A lot of these things I'm talking about, I, you know, other than the, the WrestleMania, I guess that's why the WrestleMania is, because I actually won something. But everything we, all the stuff that we did, we lost on certain certain matches. But it was good because, you know, I they were my favorite one because... I moved well. I, it, it, things came off good, but more importantly, no one got hurt, and I put people over. That was one of the things. That was like you guys talked about before. You know, everyone has a role in the business. That was my job, you know. And uh, talking to Stephanie McMahon, I was telling her a couple years ago that I was going to, you know, do do my uh, write a book, you know, and to put me in, you know, hopefully to get it published and stuff. And uh, you know, I said. She goes, what's the name of it? I said, oh, the guy, the guy that I'm writing it with, who's also done a bunch of books for WWE in the past, John Robinson. He um, he wants to call it Jobbers. She goes, I don't like that. She goes, you guys weren't Jobbers. And I said, we weren't. And she she goes, no. She goes, you guys. She goes, Pete, there's a difference between Jobbers and what you. She goes, you guys got over. She goes, it may be backstage. It may be doing stuff. She goes, you did stuff. A jobber is just a guy that comes out there and just wrestles and doesn't do, uh, you know, a, a, doesn't do anything. You know, he he just goes out there, he gets his ass kicked, gets squashed, and, and he leaves. She goes, you guys, you guys had a, he goes, you guys had a role with this company, and you know, it made me feel good about the whole situation. I mean, my record didn't show really well, but that's, it's not real, right? So, but uh, I got a funny uh, Stephanie McMahon story when we were kids. If you guys oh, want yeah. to hear it. So, <clears throat> Stephanie was like one of the boys when we were growing up. You know, she was a lot younger than us. You know, about five, anywhere, about seven years younger than us. And uh, 
but she was she was tough, you know. Like sometimes, you know, she just she was, she liked hanging out with us, and she you know, she was cool. So we were young, and she said um, we were talking about wrestling, and uh, we're talking about different, you know, each one of the guys, Rodney, Billy Pirro, you know, Billy P, and all those uh, Willie Green, all talking about their wrestling names, and I couldn't come up with a wrestling name, you know, not knowing that one day it would be my own name. Um, I said to Stephanie. I go, Steph. I said, uh, what should my wrestling name be? And she, you know, she was an adorable little kid, you know. So she just looks at a big smile and and she says, Flower. And I went, what? <laughs> I said, that's not a wrestling name, Flower. And she's like, yeah. She's like, you come out wearing green and then you have big yellow petals around your head. And I said, why? Well, I go, that's horrible. That's a horrible name. So to this day. We still call each other Flower, and it's 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 all it, 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 you know. We both get a big laugh out of it, but it's a uh, it's a funny story that yes, yeah, that that was her uh, her name for my my you know would be wrestling character. So, but uh, it's just you know one of those things. That is a that is a great nickname for a guy who's about uh, you know six <laughs> five uh, two seventy five. <laughs> Not very intimidating, but no. Now uh, you know we we mentioned a lot of uh, you know good opponents and stuff you have, but do you have like a favorite opponent? You know, in particular, what would it be? The Dups? Would it be the guys you worked with so much? No, uh, not, not nothing against them. Um, <laughs> again, if I, if I look back at it and the the the, the storyline, everything, I would say Test. You know, as much as I like, I said I hated him in the beginning. He was awful stiff. Um, he was awful stiff at first because he didn't like us. He was trying, he was trying to make a point. Um, but as far as like, as far as an opponent, that would, I guess I enjoyed, I enjoyed the stuff we did with test. I enjoyed the stuff we did with the acolytes. Like I said, as, as, as brutal as it was, it was, it was stiff and it was, you know, it helped make, it helped develop our characters. And of course, you know, then there's, you know, this heart, uh, crash Holly, you know, we, we did a lot of fun stuff with crash. Um, I don't know this, there's so many, but there's just too many to just choose one. It's you know, it's it's easy when you're like the Rock and you say Stone Cold. You know, you're working main events at WrestleMania. It's kind of easy, but when you're just you know you're working storylines, which is much was much better to me back then. Storylines lasted a lot longer than they did net, than they do now. It's quick turnover. I wish it wouldn't be. I wish it would have some some of the storylines would have a little bit more body to them, but they don't. Um, but that's just—I guess—that's the nature of the new business. Now, you know, you've wrestled, you know, a million guys, and you were mentioning before, you know, taking the rock bottom from the rock and everything else. But you know, you're an old school wrestling fan. You know, you mentioned Hulk Hogan obviously earlier as being a, you know, a favorite of yours when you were a kid. But if you could have one dream match, you know, maybe like lace them up one more time, who would you know? Who would you want to wrestle? Stone Cold or the rock uh, one of them and i i i you, you you want me to go really old school i have a reason for those those two but um i have a real reason for the stone cold especially but uh as far as like if i had to go way back let's see that's a good one i'd say hogan just cuz he was a hero of mine i thought it'd be, i think it'd be it would be fun for me he probably wouldn't give a shit but it would be fun for me <laughs> <laughs> same with stone cold and rock now you say you would really want to wrestle Stone Cold. Why? Just you know because of 
how big of a star he was at that point? Yeah. I, you know, when we, like, you know, the whole story about how when we came in, we were green. And, and when we first came in, Rock was a part of the the uh, corporation. We were a part of the corporation. We did a match. And it was a house show in uh, in Madison Square Garden. Now, this is where, you know, this is the garden. You know, like, garden is the mecca. That's where, that's where it, it, you know, everyone punches a little harder. Everyone works a lot harder. And, you know, when you get in the back, you say you're sorry. So this one match, dark match, Rock, we're Rock's bodyguards for the match. And he's facing Stone Cold, and he goes to shoot Stone Cold. We, we, get, we jump up on the apron. We're going we're gonna to hit, uh, hit Stone Cold when Rock shoots him into us. Stone Cold reverses it. We accidentally hit Rock. Rock gets hit with a, a kick to the gut. Stunner, one, two, three. He loses. He rolls out. Stone Cold starts doing his, you know, his beer drinking and stuff. And we run over to Rock. And we're like, you know, Rock, we're, so, you know, we're sorry. We're sorry. You know, we screwed up. We're sorry. He goes, you want to get eat? He goes, you want to get, you know, make it up to me? He goes, get him. Go get Stone Cold. So I run in. I, I come at him with the Polish hammer, kick to the gut, stunner. Rodney kick to the gut, stunner. We're both laying there. Stone Cold does his thing with the beers. He gets two cans of beer, clinks them together, and dumps beer on us. Crowd's going crazy. All right? He does his thing. He gets out of the ring. We're just laying there selling. Rock comes in. He sees that you know, we're laying there. He's pissed off at us. He gives us a double people's elbow. The crowd goes really crazy, and then we get we, that was how the show ended. So afterwards, we're backstage, and Stone Cold doesn't seem too happy. You know, I you know Rodney and I have never taken a stunner ever, and I guess whatever we leaned into him too much, whatever the case was, he was upset with it. But to his credit, so we rub, I've only gotten the stunner three times. And he never really personally complained about, you know, about us, me, I should say. I'm, not, I'm trying to be diplomatic. I'm trying not to be a dick. Um, with no disrespect <laughs> to anyone. Uh, not, no disrespect to Rodney, but I, he never really complained. So, uh, so anyway, but he didn't want to really work with the posse too much, which really fucked us because it could have been so much better having – getting more involved with Stone Cold, being stunned by him, beers poured on us, um, you know, stuff like that. So he uh, he did give us an opportunity. You know, he worked with us uh, the, the following night, you know, like before the doors opened, we worked on it. But, you know, obviously this guy doesn't want to take stunners. He doesn't want to give people stunners and keep landing on his ass. The guy's, you know, he works 300 nights a week, uh, 300 nights a year, sorry. And he, you know, the last thing he wants to do, but that's, you know, anyway, he, he, he took the time to work with us, but we didn't get the opportunity to do as much as we could have with him. So it was one of those things where I always, I had hoped always one day to get the opportunity to just show him that I could do it. You know what I mean? And uh, mm. that, that's that's one of those things. That that When, when the first thing he asked about the question, that's, that's the first thing that came to my head because it's one of those things where it's always there to wanting to, wanting to do more and wanting to show him and, and getting the opportunity to do something working with him. So, because he's one of the guys that, him and The Rock are two guys that I, I you know, really idolized growing, you know, go in the business, watching every move, how they handled themselves, 
both business-wise and everything else. So it was two class acts. Absolutely, and basically, you know, the two faces of the Attitude Era and, you know, the Main Street Posse did play a huge role in the Attitude Era, but if I could, you know, just rewind it all the way back, and I was always very curious about this, especially with you, you know, being a childhood friend of Shane McMahon and stuff, but what is Vince McMahon like? Because, you you know, as, as a kid, and, and, you know, you're watching stuff, because you always hear, never sleeps, workaholic, doesn't take vacations, but what was he like, you know, like behind the scenes when he's hanging out with you guys, you know, it's like him and the boys. He he used to actually, you know, he was he was one of the guys. You know, he and Shane were best, you know, have been best friends. You know, that was just, you know, Vince was Shane's best man at his wedding. Um, he that's just one of those things. But he's, you know, we would hang out. He was a big Redskins fan when we were uh, growing up. I don't know if he still is or not. And uh, we used to watch. I remember watching a playoff game with the Redskins and the Detroit Lions. I forgot what, it must have been like 88, 89, something like that. And, you know, Vince's thing was, you know, we could drink beer at his house, but if we were drinking, he had the keys and we had to stay over, take, you know, whatever. But this was a day game. This was a day day game or whatever. And uh, we were all hanging out in the living room watching the game and laughing, you know, doing the you know, just how, he was he was one of the guys. You know, he's a, you know, like I said, like I said to you in the beginning, the best compliment I could give him, give that family is with all their money, you'd never know it. Just a regular good guy. But there were times where he would, you know, if we were acting up, he'd tell us to shut up and go to bed or whatever the case is. You know, that was, you know, it was one of those things. He was a good, he was, he was a friend. And when it was time to discipline, he would discipline us. And, you know, it wasn't like he was going around beating us, but he was just, you know, he knew when to, he knew when to flip the switch and be serious. And we, we knew when he, when he got serious, we knew that that was it. You know, it was, you know, it was a, just, a, just a respect factor. Well, I'd like to think that maybe the genesis of the Mr. McMahon character and the iconic shut up might have uh, spawned from the days of uh, the Mean Street Posse getting yelled at in the McMahon house. But before we really – before we end it here – you know, one of the questions we love to end it with is, you know, your legacy or where do you see yourself in five years? But I want to kind of tie it into the book because you mentioned it a couple of times. And, you know, you mentioned John Robb, who is a former guest of the two-man power trip. And we're uh, big fans of his work. So excellent writer on board, uh, to say the least. But talk about how the book itself will be your gift to the wrestling business, your legacy all encompassed in these pages. And what was really the thing that made you want to write this book at the end of the day? You know, it's funny. It, it started back when we got sent to Memphis and we were working in some, uh, we were training at um, an old legendary wrestler in Memphis. Uh, Stephen Riggle was our trainer and we were, and I was, I, we had the worst possible conditions. It was a wrestling ring in his backyard with dead mice on it and rusted out weights. And I took photos of it. And I always said, one day I'm going to make this a book. And to be honest with you, I would, you know, now from, from when I got released on, I would tell stories. When I was, if I was playing at a softball tournament, the team I was playing with would always seem to huddle around and listen. Like, you know, I felt like I was telling stories to a kindergarten class because everyone, you know, had questions. They wanted to know things. And I'd tell these stories and people would crack up laughing. And they said, you got to write a book. And I always said I was going to, and I never did. And, you know, yes, I'm probably about eight, eight to ten years too late on this but um i don't think it's too late i just think it would have been better if it was earlier um it's just i when bradshaw read this thing he told me 
he sent me a message, and he said he absolutely loved it. Um, he told me that there were a lot of stories in there that I actually got the story exactly right, um, which was like, a, uh, for one, when the Acolytes sued Teddy, Teddy Long in Wrestler's Court, and <clears throat> one of the funniest moments of my uh, my time uh, time at WWE or WWF, and uh, you know, was, there's a lot of there's a lot of stories in there. Basically, it's people read that like I, I kind of said before. You know, they get the idea how you know we they, when you read it, you'll you'll see how they really did take two guys off the street and throw us in a situation where. It's, it wasn't as easy as people thought it was, and you know, like I said about the criticism and all that stuff, but it was more part. It almost gives you the opportunity to say, you know, someone, a fan who's reading it says, you know what, you know, obviously they don't know the McMahons, and it was it was a break on our part, but it was like, geez, I wonder what it would be like if I got that opportunity, or what would happen, you know, stuff like that. It just, and then you get all the. It, it, there's a lot of name dropping. There's a lot of stories about you know things that happen on the road with uh, the Hardy Boys and, and Edge and Christian and Prince Albert and Test and, you know, just funny things where Test shit in a bag and tried to light it and throw it at us in the car and just, like, just just, just fun stories. And the one the other thing Bradshaw said to me, he said um, in the message, and I'll never get rid of this message because it made me feel really good because, again, it came from a guy that I had earned his, I earned his respect, was – it's good to see that you don't have an axe to grind from the business because there's too many guys that, you know, once they um, they get into the business, you know, and then they leave. There, there's always a complaint. They didn't like Vince. They didn't like this. They didn't, you know, I should have been the next Stone Cold. You know, the, whatever the whatever the song and dance is, mine is everything. Was, my glass is half full. You know, it was a, it was a shame when it was over. I was sad when it was over, but the, when I got released, I was in Puerto Rico. I got. I, I flew back to Alabama to get my car. I drove from Alabama to Connecticut. I, the very next day, I woke up. I drove to the office, Titan Tower, and I walked in. Shane was. Shane had no idea I was coming in his door, and he told me after. He goes, "I thought you were going to punch me in the face, because he because I'd been released." I walked up to him. I stuck my hand out, and I shook his hand before I hugged him, and I said, "Thank you. Thank you for the best three years of my life." And that's the way it is. And I'm, I'm still getting benefits from it. You know, I still get a royalty check, which can buy me a cup of coffee. That's about it right about now. But uh, I still get a royalty check once in a while. And I still, you know, I still get recognized. And, I, you know, it's not as often. You know, people don't follow me around in malls anymore um, to see what I'm buying. But it's all good. And it was, it was a great experience. It's always something I always wanted. You know, you always wonder what it would be like to be, you know, have people want to ask you for autographs, stuff like that. It was just, it just, they're fun stories. Anyone that buys the book is going to enjoy it just for the stories alone on what happened with playing dominoes with Kane and pissing him off and him chasing me around the arena and all good stuff. It just, it, there's some real funny stuff and it's, it's a good read. It's a quick read and hopefully I have some great pictures in there and stuff. And I'm sure if you're a wrestling fan, you know, without an axe to grind against the Mean Street Posse, you're uh, you're gonna enjoy it. <laughs> Definitely, and you know it's funny. It's uh, those people can, like we said before, they can piss off. But with that being said, I want to get uh, you know I want to get the information out to the listeners of the Two Man Power Trip exactly where uh, they can find you. And I just want to say, just uh, to interject here, 
this has been probably, and I'm not just saying this to kiss butt, one of my favorite episodes yet, because your honesty is quite frankly refreshing, and I just I love your story. And please share with the listeners in the, of the Two Man Power Trip exactly where they and everything about PCAS. Uh, my Twitter account, which I'm not a huge Twitter guy. You guys were able to get to me on Twitter, which is, but uh, it's I am PCAS. Um, and uh, I'm on Facebook, which I don't really, you know, it is what it is. I, I, that's not a good way. But uh, I work now for a company called WB Mason. I love it. I'm in sales. So if you need any office supplies, feel free to call the office and get in touch with me. Um, other than that, I have nothing else to plug other than that book. Saturday, December 5th, WWE Hall of Famer, Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff comes to Collector's World in Annandale, Virginia. For more information, please visit collectorsworldva.com and pricing starts at only $25. That's WWE Hall of Famer, Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff, Saturday, December 5th, 2015 from 11.30 to 12.30 at Collector's World in Annandale, Virginia. Visit collectorsworldva.com for more information because it's going to be absolutely wonderful.